I'm Evan Mark Katz, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women, and your personal trainer for love. Welcome to the Love You Podcast. Keep listening to learn 10 ways your anxiety might drive him away. When we're done, I'll let you know how you could apply to Love You to find a relationship that makes you feel safe, heard, and understood. Today's podcast is pretty significant in as much as I would estimate that 75, 80% of my clients are anxious, whether or not they have been diagnosed with anxiety, generalized anxiety, or anxious attachment style from these days, pop psychology of feeling really insecure, needy, um, needing constant reassurance from a man, always feeling like he's going to abandon you. There is a cost to being this way, even though you are completely entitled to being this way. So I want to lead with a story about anxiety, and it might seem like a tangent, but it's not. It'll come back. I was a new dad probably for the sometime in the first year that I was a father. My kids are now 11 and 12, and my wife was going out for maybe the first time by herself. We'd had sitters and stuff like that, but it was the first time she was going out by herself with her friends to go, you know, mommies who drink Chardonnay. It was going to be a mommy drinking night and I was going to be at home with my daughter and I'm pretty competent. I, I enjoyed being a parent of an infant. That wasn't a big deal. But flying solo was a little bit scary because it's just me. No one else is going to be able to comfort. No one's going to be able to put the, the breast in the mouth. It's just me and a bottle of rewarmed milk and my baby. And so miraculously, the baby part goes okay, and I get the baby down to sleep. And now my wife had already left at 7 o'clock. It's now 11 o'clock, and she's not home yet, which is cool. That's usually when she gets home. We tend to wind down around that same time every night. But she's not there. And so 11.30 goes by. And maybe it's 11.45. And now I'm like, hmm, starting to get worried. Not over-the-top worried. Just, hey, haven't heard from you. Send her a text. Haven't heard from you. Midnight hits. I pick up the phone. I call. Hey, honey, um, just making sure you're okay. Um, usually you're home by 11. You know, hope you had a fun night. That kind of thing. Now it's 12.15. And now I start to spin out. Because... Clearly what's happened here is that my wife, in her first time drinking, intentionally drinking, after she had our newborn, has gone to a friend's house somewhere in the Malibu Hills and inadvertently killed herself um, with by, by being a, a drunk driver. That's, that's obviously what happened. And now my mind starts to reel that... She is dead at the side of the road. And what is this going to mean? I'm going to be a single father of a toddler. How am I going to handle that? How am I going to find childcare? How am I going to date as a dating coach? What's going to happen with the life insurance? Uh, am I ever going to find anybody as good as her? Literally, these are the thoughts that I was having. right? And then like three minutes later, my wife opened the door and came home and... 
and no one would know the difference. This is all just the internal dialogue that was going through my head, my anxiety, catastrophizing, seeing the worst case scenario when all I had was silence. There was no evidence that my wife was drinking to excess. There was no evidence of anything. All I know is that she usually calls by now and she technically had been drinking, but I got no idea how much. And I turned it into a whole story to the point where it's not like I called the police, but I thought of it, right? And I'm owning this. I mean, this is not a story that makes me good. I'm owning this because that's what humans do. We try to fill in the silences. We try to fill in the gaps. We make up stories. Sometimes the stories we make up are pretty outlandish and they're often a catastrophe. They're often way off the charts outside the realm of reality, right? our biggest fears. Nothing better describes anxious attachment style right? for women than thinking the worst case scenario is always about to happen if he hasn't texted you for an hour. So this list that I'm about to give you, again, I don't expect you to necessarily take notes on a podcast, but put a lot of effort into this list because these are all slight variations on the same thing of what it's like to have an anxious attachment style as a woman and to have normalized this behavior. Well, this is just the way I am, but you don't understand that this anxiety ends up running your whole life. And often your anxiety is not that different than me thinking that my wife has died. I know your problem, your first reaction is, of course it is. And then always disappoint me, disappear, abandon me. I get it. It's obviously a different scenario, but there's a similarity in between A, how you view the world, B, how you act, C, how you choose men, that we need to break that pattern if we're going to invite good relationships in. So these are the things that I have written down as ways that your anxiety might unintentionally drive someone away. Number one, constantly seeking reassurance, even over minor issues due to a fear of abandonment or rejection. I remember an old blog post that I wrote gained a lot of controversy once upon a time where a woman asked her boyfriend if she was as attractive as Angelina Jolie and the boyfriend kind of went <laughs> and she got really, really angry at him for not reassuring her that she is as attractive as at the time would arguably be the most, uh, the, the hottest woman in the world according to certainly a percentage of men 15 years ago. Um, that's the kind of reassurance that can be extremely tiring to a partner where you don't trust yourself, you don't trust your value or your worth for reasons that go far deeper than this podcast, stemming back to childhood about how your father treated you or your mother treated you and you've internalized that and brought that into adult relationships. But someone who's constantly re seeking reassurance that they're not good enough or that you're not going to leave, you might feel entitled to it because we could say, well, the right guy would tell me I'm as hot as Angelina Jolie. That's one way of looking at the world. The other way of looking at the world is if he's with me, he's attracted to me. I don't need to be as hot as Angelina Jolie to feel secure in my relationship. Why? Because he's around. He's committed to me. He tells me I'm beautiful. We have a nice sex life. He doesn't have to, you know, indulge in these flights of fancy out of my insecurity. He doesn't need to stop finding other women attractive. He doesn't need to never theoretically look at online porn or acknowledge the beauty of another woman in the world. 
and again, this is one example. There's many examples of the need for constant reassurance. They are eventually taxing and draining. I don't think there are, and if there are, you shouldn't be dating them. Men who say, tell me I'm as hot as Channing Tatum, honey, said no man ever. <laughs> um, and yes, men and women are different. And yes, there's different societal expectations of men and women. And women, men value looks and women value their own looks for how men look at them. It's a big, complicated thing. But in general, if you're constantly seeking reassurance, there's something that has to come from within if you have a baseline of reassurance um, from the fact that he is your boyfriend, he does find you attractive, he does largely treat you well. Can't constantly ask for it. Number two, overanalyzing messages, obsessively analyzing text messages, so social media interactions, reading into every word or emoji. Uh, think about how corrosive that could could become, especially when your primary form of communication is text or social media, um, reading into things where there's no eye contact, there's no tone, there's no body language. You've heard the fabled statistic that 90% of relationships are, not 90% of communication is, uh, is body language and eye contact as opposed to the words being conveyed. Nothing's worse than reading a text message and trying to determine the full meaning from it. So how many times have you stared at your phone, wondered what to say, asked your friends, taken screenshots, what do I do here? Right. That kind of over-analysis is indicative of anxiety and a lack of security with your connection with the man or your ability to communicate your feelings in a reasonable way. You should not have to obsessively analyze your text messages. All right. I remember I was uh, once asked to do like a guest column for like Seventeen magazine many years ago. And they said, Evan, we want you to analyze text messages. And I swear to God, one of the text messages was BRB, like be right back. All right. What does this mean? And and I, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I ended up refusing the assignment because be right back just literally means be right back. It was like I'm... I don't know, I'm going to the bathroom where the doorbell rang or whatever whatever it is. There's always, for women, uh, not always, often with women, there's a veiled meaning. There's what he says and there's what he means. And usually it's actually the opposite. We talked about it in the previous podcast. Women often have more veiled meanings, so they think men have more veiled meanings. Where in fact, men usually say something closer to what they mean. All right. The idea that men are inveterate liars is a half-truth at best. So usually when a guy says, be right back, it means I'll be right back. Usually when a guy says, I'm not looking for something serious, it means he's not looking for something serious. Usually when a guy says, hey, you look really hot, it means he thinks you look really hot, not that he's a sexual predator. Um, usually the meanings are the simplest and most generous interpretation, not the most fearful interpretation. It must be exhausting to overanalyze text messages and emojis and feel like there's no way out of that. There's absolutely a way out of it. You can stop at any time. I give you permission. Number three, the fear of being forgotten. If your partner forgets a small detail, such as a planned date or an important event, you might interpret it as a sign that you are not important. Uh, I think this is probably a sliding scale. Obviously, if you're dating a guy and it, it, you've been with him for a year and you've been talking about your birthday and he doesn't do anything for your birthday, yeah, it could be, that could be a sign that 
maybe not that he's pulling away, but certainly a sign that he's not sensitive to what's important to you, sensitive to your emotional cues, and might not be the kind of person who makes a big enough deal about this to your liking. Uh, reasonable people can disagree. I come from a family where my mom made a big deal about every holiday, and so I make a big deal about every holiday. But my sister, probably because of it, makes a big deal about nothing. She and her husband don't even give, any, give each other Christmas gifts. That's their reaction to this. And as long as they're on the same page with it, that's fine. It's not my place to impose my values on what someone else should do. But the fear of being forgotten, we talk about this in Love You. I always tell women, you shouldn't have to remind a man that you're alive. You shouldn't have to text him to say, hey, I haven't heard from you. What are you doing? When are we hanging out next? In general, that's a bad sign. A guy should make a continuous effort. So are you allowed to feel anxiety in times when you, ha when you haven't heard from him? Yes, within that sliding scale. All right. If you haven't heard from him for six hours, he might be at work. All right. That is not a sign he's pulling away from you. If you had an amazing date on Friday night and it's Saturday and you haven't heard from him yet, not the end of the world doesn't mean he's pulling away. If you're seeing a guy who purports to be your boyfriend and you haven't heard from him in four days, now there's a reason to feel a sense of anxiety. Now there's a, a reason to uh, reach out and reconnect and find out if someone's okay. So I think what my point is not that there's not a right to feel anxiety about men who are going to ghost or disappoint or abandon. It's that to keep it in a proper perspective, a guy who's not your boyfriend doesn't technically owe you anything which is why we always say I love you. No man is real until he's your boyfriend. He's just hope, fantasy, projection, and potential. Number four, overreacting in delays to response, becoming overly upset if your partner doesn't respond to messages or call promptly, imagining worst case scenarios and fearing the relationship is in jeopardy. That would seem to be close to a 3B, right? The idea that if he doesn't respond to you immediately, that it's somehow a sign. I know I've got clients who I'm mean, thinking of one in particular who brought this up on last week's uh, Love You Live coaching call, who's tired of guys who text her uh, intermittently through the day. She, the nature of her job is such that she, without outing her, the nature of her job is such that she doesn't use a cell phone during the day. So if a guy is expecting a constant stream of communication throughout the day, he's chose the wrong girl. And it doesn't mean she's ignoring him. It doesn't mean she's not into him. It doesn't mean anything other than, it would be the same for me. I am in front of a big old desktop computer. I'm in front of a camera. I'm typing. I am on Slack. The one thing I'm not doing is on my, my cell phone. So I can get a cell phone message and not look at it until I'm done coaching at seven o'clock at night when I go out to dinner to meet with my family. And imagine my wife, in, my, in the same house, but imagine I had a wife who or girlfriend who is really upset about the fact that pretty much from 10 to 7, I am out of commission. That would be an unhealthy way to interpret my silence. So really understanding the context and the, the man himself is more important than timing how long it's taken for him to respond to your text. And I know this is a nuanced issue, and I know this is an important issue, and I know there are guys who... When they stop texting you, it's the first sign that it's pulling away. That is true. That's what happens when you're on dating apps. It's what happens when you're texting 100 guys at the same time. You can't really expect any too much, anything much from any one guy, which is why I want you to have more options as the CEO of your love life, right? 
diminish the meaning of any one of those options until there's good signs that he's on the boyfriend track. Now there's actually something that you can be invested in. You have at least the right to be anxious about until you've defined your relationship. Number five, becoming jealous easily. You may feel intense insecurity when your partner interacts with others, even in harmless situations. This is a huge, you know, bugaboo for me. I talk to women for a living. Some of the women I talk to are attractive. Uh, I became a dating coach because I was an un unemployed screenwriter who was a good flirt. And so my default setting is to talk to attractive women wherever I go. It's also my default setting to talk to men and children and dogs and old people. And my personality, that flirtatious, outgoing, I'll talk to anybody in the world personality, is not just for attractive women. So I remember having a girlfriend who had no trouble with me talking to the old man with the ponytail at the surf shop for a half hour, but would cut my nuts off if she saw me having a nice conversation with a woman who she deemed to be attractive, right? even if she was completely a non-threat. The one I was thinking at the time was a, a bartender at a at a at her aunt's 60th birthday party, right? where I was alone. You know, I was with her whole family. I didn't know anybody, and so I was talking to the bartender. She was 20 years older than I was. I was like 30. She was 50, and I was making banter with the bartender at the party, and she read me the riot act afterwards. That kind of thing does not fly, and certainly not with secure men. Um, I, I probably didn't know enough about life for women at age 31 to realize what a big red flag that was. She thought I was the red flag. She's like, what kind of man talks to another woman? Well, if she's flitting around her old family party, it's someone to talk to. So just, again, and I hate to make this about, about individual women because I know there's always circumstances, but he was a cheater. Well, don't date a cheater. We're talking about a normal person. So if you are the person who is jealous easily, that is your insecurity of what other men have done to you, making a guy who purportedly, I'm assuming if he's your boyfriend, he hasn't cheated on you, hasn't done anything wrong. You're making him guilty of a crime that he hasn't committed. I've never cheated on anybody in my whole life. So for you to be insecure that I'm going to do something wrong, you're taking out your other stuff, your previous relationships on me, and I don't want to have to constantly apologize for the sins of other men. All right. And I know that's sometimes hard to hear, right? Because the answer is always, but, but this guy, I went out with this guy and he did this and this guy, right? This guy was secretly had a separate number and this guy had a secret girlfriend in another city and there's always some other guy. And you have to judge guys on a case by case basis. If your guy has been nothing but consistent and acted with integrity with you, right? Jealousy is only going to hurt your relationship. Jealousy never helps relationships. I can't see any example of it helping. Number six, catastrophizing minor disagreements. A minor disagreement might be blown out of proportion out of fear that the conflict threatens the relationship's stability. That I think is really important and interesting. I have a client right now who she would classify herself as avoidant, but I think within the context of a relationship, she gets anxious. And her default, and that's a pretty common default, it's not just her, is if something goes wrong, she'll, she'll pull the I don't think I could talk to you. I need a break. I, like, I got, I got to figure out if I could do this any longer, right? Like, 
any disagreement is like a sign that she's about to pull the plug on the whole thing. So if you're on the other side of it, how could you have a relationship with someone who, if you have an argument, because two different people are never going to agree on everything. It's impossible. Love my wife, can't agree on everything. So you have a boyfriend, he's a good boyfriend, and then there's an argument, there's a disagreement. And each time there's a disagreement, one of them, or he, if he does the same thing, it's also intolerable, right? There's never been one point in 15 years of marriage that I was like, I have to think about the viability of our marriage. I have to, I might have to take a break. I don't think I can do this, right? It's, it's like going into work and every day getting threatened with being fired. What kind of working conditions is that are, if someone makes a mistake, you threaten them with firing. That is not the picture of a stable relationship. That's someone who's willing to pull the plug out of fear instead of trying to listen and validate and find the common ground and work together to find that your disagreement is just a disagreement. It's not an issue of character or kindness or consistency or communication or commitment. It's just two different people who look at the same situation differently, which should not necessarily destabilize a relationship. So don't catastrophize minor disagreements. Number seven, fear of being ignored. If your partner becomes busy with work, hobbies, social activities, you interpret it as a sign of disinterest or neglect. Right? Sometimes it's not about you. If my wife goes to book club and then later that week goes out to dinner with her PTA moms, this is not indicative of the fact that she no longer loves me, doesn't want to spend time with me, values her friendships over me. This is the fact that she has a life outside of me in addition to the life we have at home. Spin it around and it's the same thing. If he's had a regular poker game with the guys for 10 years and just because he's married to you doesn't mean he wants to quit poker. That's perfectly fair. All right. And that's different than he planned a, a single guy's you know, vacation in Ibiza without me. Very, very different thing. So just understand that, yes, the right guy will do the right thing and he will consider you and he does want to be with you. But sometimes the guy's got a hell week at work and sometimes you got a hell week at work and you need him to understand that you don't have much to give. And if you set those expectations, hey, man, I just need you to be there for me. Right now I'm having a really tough time with my mom who is, um, we're putting her into elderly care, so it's going to be a crazy couple weeks as we get her moved out. Right guy's going to understand that and not complain that, that you're not giving him enough attention while you're moving your mom into elderly care. Right? Like this, when you flip these things around, it becomes really, really obvious. You have to give a guy the same wide berth that you give yourself. If a guy gets asked to go to a Yankees game right, at the last minute, the day of your date, well, he it's okay. Hey, can I cancel a date? Can we reschedule? I got last minute Yankee tickets. That doesn't mean he's a loser or a liar or a player or he doesn't. It means he got Yankee tickets dropped into his lap. And if you got Taylor Swift tickets dropped into your lap, I hope you would cancel your coffee date as well. This is stuff that reasonable people have to understand. Uh, and it's not that easy when it happens to you. I, I do get that. Number eight, ex seeking excessive reassurance during conflicts, fearing that disagreements will lead to a breakup or abandonment. Again, I know this is sounding probably slightly repetitive because these are variations on a same theme but there should never be a moment where a disagreement means abandonment. A disagreement is just a disagreement, right? On where we're going this weekend or who wakes up with the baby in the middle of the night or how we're going to spend money on our house. Is it the inside or the outside? Or, right? Reasonable couples could have these disagreements and they can be strong disagreements. They might even be 
is there some game irreconcilable disagreements? But they don't have to destabilize a relationship. And talk of those things don't have to destabilize the relationship. There has to be a middle ground that if you married someone or you're in a relationship with someone where there are way too many things that you disagree and argue about and can't come to peace at, well, maybe you're in the wrong relationship, right? But you never want to have to threaten, feel threatened by the fact that you guys are disagreeing on things. The more you could solve problems together as a team, the better your relationships are going to be instead of digging in, do I want to be right or do I want to get along? Usually I want to get along. Usually I want to figure out how to compromise to make my wife happy. Number nine, feeling threatened by independence. When your partner expresses a desire for personal space, you feel threatened, worry the partner's pulling away. Some people need a lot of personal space. I'm not one of them. My wife's not one of them. We're extroverted. We like spending a lot of time together. But I'm, I look at my daughter who definitely needs her me time closing the door in her room reading a book. And if you're the kind of person who's more introverted and you 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 recharge alone instead of being drained by people around you. If you're with a guy who's like that, you've got to give him enough of the freedom to be that person, just like you'd want a man to give you the freedom. You don't want your introverted boyfriend to forbid you from going to a party if you're an extrovert. No, go, honey, I'll, I'll stay at home. All right, same works in reverse. You don't have to marry your clone. You just have to meet that person where they're at and accept them as they are. And finally, uh, 10, Preemptive defensive behavior, such as pushing your partner away or creating distance to protect yourself from potential rejection or abandonment. All right. That's very easy to do. The way it usually works is you, you're dating someone in the first month and you find a deal breaker and you run. All right. That's anxious. We could, we could flip it into avoidant, but it's really a form of anxiety. I'm so afraid of intimacy. I'm so afraid of getting hurt that anything that smacks of a red flag, even if it's really just a, a, a pale yellow, I'm going to run in the opposite direction. All right. This guy called me sweetie in a text. That must mean he is patriarchal. Uh, this guy said sexy. That must mean he is just looking to get laid. He's not serious about a relationship. This guy spelled a word wrong. That must mean he's a complete idiot and I'm going to look down on him his entire life because he can't spell and I won't respect him. This is what happens. We take these tiny, tiny things in order to protect ourselves. And what are we doing? We're basically re-ensuring re re that no one could actually penetrate our armor, climb our wall, get behind our defenses and really love us and see all of us. We always find reasons to shoot down people for the most minor offenses under the guise of protection and keeping your standards high. And it usually works the opposite. We key on things that are kind of minor Right? And we allow things that are pretty major issues with character, kindness, consistency, communication, commitment, character, that kind of thing. Okay. So I know that was a lot. I know I went really fast. I know it pushed a bunch of buttons. I would love to hear from you in the comments if that made you think, oh, I do four or five of those things. Um, and if that did push your buttons, right? And I spoke some sort of truth. Oh, I don't mean to be the anxious person. I don't see myself as the anxious person, but when it comes to men, I am the anxious person, despite the fact that I'm a smart, strong, successful, high achieving woman, go to www.evanmarkkatz.com forward slash apply, watch my video, fill out my application, and we'll talk on the phone about you and why you're here and what's not working in your love life. And we'll show you how to raise your standards for what you come to expect from men. And you'll learn what to let go of from men that you've been holding on to 
to your own detriment. Now, love you small win for the week comes courtesy from Love You Live. Uh, I like this one because it shows women in Love You are not just learning. This isn't book learning. This isn't a course on just confidence and um, how to let go of your past and your limiting beliefs. This is about action. So I went on two second dates this past weekend, and I like both of them. And they both like me. But that's a given, whatever. Right? Do they like me? Whatever. But I like both of them. And that feels really good. We assume in Love You that the answer is yes. And usually the answer is going to be yes. And now the CEO has to see how these interns differentiate themselves. And this is what we mean, is when you come here, you realize, oh, there's a million guys. Guys are like buses. There's a new one coming along every 15 minutes. How does he treat me? Under the assumption that every guy does like you and wants to be with you, do I like him? Do I like the way he treats me? Do I like the way he makes me feel? Does he follow up appropriately to show me that he wants the job? All right. So love that small win when clients are on multiple dates with guys they like who are following through. Now, my recommended read for the week is about attachment style. This comes courtesy of The Atlantic. And um, I I love the. I subscribe to The Atlantic. I subscribe to a bunch of stub, sub stacks and I subscribe to The New York Times. It's where I get most of my information. You could uh, accuse me of confirmation bias, but I do try to read a lot so I could be well-versed on multiple points of view. This one was called Attachment Style Isn't Destiny. And it talks about the guy who wrote the book, Amir Levine. Um, here's a quote. Amir Levine, a neuroscientist, Columbia University psychiatrist, and co-authored of Attached, told me, you could think of attachment orientation as a working model of the world, a set of beliefs that are constantly put to the test. Those beliefs stem largely from the interactions you've already had, but your subsequent interactions keep shaping your expectations, which means your working model can keep evolving. In fact, it's likely to. On average, people tend to grow towards security as they get older. That might be because we accumulate more evidence that the people in our lives aren't going anywhere. When you're married to someone for 40 years, hopefully you stop freaking out about whether or not they're going to be there the next day. There's also a natural mellowing out that happens with age. People tend to get better at social interactions and more comfortable in their own skin. So in my opinion, right, this is what we get to observe in nature sometimes, but not always. There are some people who are trapped by their anxiety. It's what we talked about earlier. I got clients from their 60s and 70s and still leading with the anxiety that was instilled in them when they were eight years old. So life experience really is the best teacher, right? But in order to be taught, you have to learn from your mistakes and vary your choices. So as it goes, if you always choose avoidant men, if you always choose emotionally unavailable men, if you always choose narcissistic men, your experience with those men is going to be the same. They're going to pull away. They're going to make things about themselves. They're going to gaslight you. They're going to put their needs above your needs. They're not going to be sensitive to you. They're not going to want to commit and build their life around you. And so then that becomes your story of men. The answer, of course, is not that's not the story of men. That's the story of a certain subset of men that you subconsciously keep choosing. Narcissists or avoiding personality, commitment phobe, guys who don't know what they're looking for, guys who are losers and fixer-uppers that you have to try to 
live up to get them to live up to their potential that they're never going to reach. These are all examples of your choice in men dictating how you see men broadly overall in the world. Right. So if you want to work towards security, you got to vary who you spend your time with. I spend my time with people who are in secure relationships, my wife, married couples that we're with. It's not that you know, uh, anybody in my community is special is that a lot of people in my community, um, drew a lot of the same conclusions that I've drawn, um, through good fortune, life experience, maybe good parenting, good parental role models. I'm going to live in a very upper middle-class Jewish kind of suburbia where someone asked me just yesterday about, you know, uh, where was I yesterday? Gosh, I, I forget, but I was literally in a room and every single person in the room was divorced except for me, had been divorced except for me. Uh, and then I realized when I think of my friendships, um, both my college friendships and my friendships out here in Los Angeles, there's virtually nobody I know who's divorced. Virtually everybody I know is in, in the exact same situation that I am now, and I've surrounded myself by that. So I probably have a slightly rosier view of what, what can be possible within relationships than other people who have made poor choices with men, have friends who've made poor choices with men, and they're still single. And right, what you're around sort of wears off on you. So what I'm trying to do is invite you into a world where there's more positive experiences that we can draw on. I mean, I haven't done my love you love story this week, but this week we did have sincerely a pregnancy, an engagement, and a wedding. All right, I got emails about all three of them in just in the past week. So there's a, there's a difference in how you view the world. And if you come from this place of scarcity where good men are really, really hard to find, in fact, I'm not even sure they exist, I want to invite you more into my world. People on the anxious side, right, do flourish with guys who are more attentive. If you keep on choosing inattentive, ambivalent guys, you're going to get the same results. If you're on the avoidance side of the scale, you might need to find someone who gives you more space, right? But, but also is really supportive of the fact that you're doing your best in a relationship to break down your walls. Anxious people could also benefit from pursuing a se sense of self-efficacy, working on a feeling of being more self-worthy, less dependent upon others to enshrine that self-worth for you. Um, that's part of what we do in Love You. Right? If you're around a whole bunch of other smart, strong, successful women who are confident in their ability at work, and to do all these amazing things and in international travel and renovate homes and make six figures and get a master's degree, right? But have no confidence in their ability with men. You come here, you plug into my confidence and soon you're going to feel like the CEO of your love life that right now you probably don't feel. So when people struggle with anxious attachment, this is from the article, they're apt to notice signs of rejection while overlooking signs of acceptance, right? This is our negative bias. But knowing that your working model might not ma match reality, that these attachment styles, this anxiety can change depending upon who you're with does make a difference. If you're listening, if you're listening to the first part of this podcast and you heard all this talk about anxiety and you're like, yep, that's me. That's not a permanent condition. That is the condition of choosing avoidant men who always make you feel small and unheard and unsafe. You choose a different kind of guy, you have a completely different kind of narrative. All right, so, so much of love you. I'll beat this to death. 
80% of love you is learning to choose better men. 20% is about learning to be a better partner as a woman, how to bring out the best version of you and bring out the best version of him. But most of it is about fixing your broken man picker. So you can't erase your past. That's impossible. You know that. I know that. But by choosing more secure partners who model good boyfriend and husband behavior, and you see what it's like when good people show up in your life, you can change your whole model of the world. I, as your coach, try to present to you what it's like to be with a secure guy. Because I, when I get to be your coach, I treat you with love and patience and respect. And I'm never going to judge you or leave you or abandon you. And so we're raising the bar for what you should come to expect from men. Right? And so the guys in real life who fall short, you have a much lower tolerance for them instead of saying, okay, this guy hasn't texted me in like a week and we've already slept together three times. Should I keep on seeing him? He's got a really good job. You'll know the answer to that question. No, cut him off. We're going to cut off a lot more men for the right reasons instead of stringing them along, keeping them around because you think you can't do better. So today's Love You Love Story is where we usually conclude is by Aaron. Uh, I love this one. That's why I'm going to read it in its entirety. I hope it leaves you with a bit of hope and inspiration. As always, these are their words. I don't rewrite anything. I was a 30-something, never-married single woman who spent most of her 20s focused on education and career, not even knowing what I really wanted out of a long-term relationship. Once I decided I wanted to get married, I began dating with that in mind, but not very effectively. I signed up for Love You, thinking I'd give it a try. Now, almost three years later, I'm enjoying the learning that takes place. The major aha Evan helped me learn to be a more effective dater was to lean back and mirror a man's efforts in the dating stage stages rather than chasing a guy himself. I had to learn to be more receptive to a man's courting gestures, which turned out to be a lot of fun. As I got more comfortable with his more effective ways of dating, Evan taught me to relax, not overthink, enjoy letting the relationship unfold in due time, and try not to read the last page of the book before I read the entire book. I'm practicing that lesson with my boyfriend of seven months. He often comments how impressed he is with my ability to go with the flow and how easy it is to date me. I did share my lessons learned from Love You with my boyfriend, and he loves that I'm so self-aware and communicative to prevent common relationship issues before they come up. I'm enjoying seeing how our relationship and the time we spend together is awesome. I couldn't have a better boyfriend, and likely I wouldn't have had it without Evan's coaching in Love You, Aaron. So, where's my little post-it note? This is your destination. This is where you are now. My job is to get you on that road to your destination in the shortest period of time. That's why you do something differently than you're doing. That's why you do more than listen to this podcast, right? That's why you get in action and go find the man who's looking for you, who doesn't know that you exist. He's not going to be able to find you unless you make a conscious effort to do so. With that in mind, my name is Evan Mark Katz. Thanks for tuning into the Love You podcast. For more episodes like this on YouTube, click on the button, ring the bell to get notified when new uh, content comes in. If you're listening on Apple or one of the other many podcast platforms, please leave a review. It doesn't have to be positive. I'd like it to be positive if that's the way you feel, but leave a review. If you leave a, a review, especially using wor your words, instead of just clicking on the five stars, it actually impacts the algorithm and how many people see your podcast. And I want to get this message out, this positive, empowering message out to as many women as I can. And if you are listening to the Love You podcast and thinking, Hmm, 
it would be really nice to be as optimistic about dating as Evan. It would be really nice to have a man who made me feel secure, where I never had to worry about speaking my mind or whether he was going to go everywhere. That's possible. It happens all the time. And if you want it to happen to you, go to evanmarkkatz.com forward slash apply. Watch my free video about fixing your broken man picker. Fill out a short application. Get on the phone with me, and I will help you find a relationship through Love You and get you the man that you truly, truly deserve. I thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. And I look forward to seeing you on the next Love You podcast and in Love You on Tuesday night. Bye-bye. Are you the woman who has everything except a man? You can have the relationship of your dreams and you don't have to change to get it. In Love You, you will gain confidence, let go of unhealthy relationship patterns, learn to trust your judgment, understand and attract quality men, assess long-term compatibility, and create a passionate, unconditionally loving relationship with a partner who puts you first, never lets you down, and always makes you feel safe, heard, and understood. Go to www.evanmarkkatz.com and click on the Apply for Coaching button to get started.